I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are to dive into yet another film review, pick it apart and let you know what we think of it. And when I say we, of course it's not just me, but it's my good friend and fellow film lover Callum who is here to chat about today's film. Callum, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Good evening. Um... Just, uh, Good evening, yeah, we've gone for a, a, an evening record today to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, we have. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been too, I've been too well actually, um, but I'm on the mend now, which is nice. Um, Has film yeah. carried you back into health again? Well, that seems to be a recurring theme, doesn't it? Film yeah. being a healing uh, agent for all yeah. thing for all sorts of. Uh, stuff. It's something we've I, discussed a lot over the previous episodes. It is, yeah, absolutely. Have we recorded since we came back from Germany? Have we? I don't think we have actually. No, I don't know. So, I mean, we got we went to Hamburg. Oh no, we did actually. No, I do recall now. In the last episode, I remember introducing you as fellow travel uh, partner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Hamburg. that's. That's my bad. We just That's wanted more bad. opportunity to drop in that we went on a trip to Hamburg and went around <laughs> a load of edgy bars and shops. But well, we you, can keep reminding the listeners of that, that we do like to go to edgy places and be edgy and look edgy and post pictures of it on the internet. Well, I mean, well, you know, what? what is the purpose of a podcast if not for it to look cool? And to so, heighten our own egos. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's a, a rampant sense of narcissism running through these uh, this little recording needle thing at the moment <laughs> but that's film that's what film is that is film. film's built on narcissism it, well you know one man's narcissism is another person's beauty so there's the quote there's the quote of the episode you've been a bit ill Callum but hopefully today's review can help give you a bit of extra life and vim and vigor and as you say, film can carry you back into good health because that's what it's there for. It's there to uplift us as well as give us a good time and something to discuss. But speaking mm. of things to discuss, what is it we're discussing today? Because we've got a little bit of a different angle today, Callum, and I want to put this on your shoulders to describe to our beloved listeners what our thoughts yeah. behind it are and what direction we're going in just before you do give um, your classic overview of the film. So could you talk so, us in on the direction we're going in and what the film is, please? Yeah, of course. So we were thinking about sort of what we, what, what film to review um, this week, basically. Um had a, a week off for various different reasons. Um, but we coming back and we were just thinking, you know, what what could we do? Should we do a should we do a film that's a current film that's out of the cinema, or should we just do one that's just on a streaming service that we both haven't seen before? Or should we do something that we both seen before um, that we both enjoyed? But let's think about it in a different way. And um, I'd read an article in the Atlantic, uh, not the Atlantic, sorry, the New York magazine by an actress called Molly Ringwald who play who plays a character called Claire in The Breakfast Club and I remember watching The Breakfast Club years ago and just got me thinking maybe we should do a sort of classics revisited episode revisit a movie that has become a sort of 
uh, you know, a culturally historic or aesthetically significant movie for whatever reason um, it has become that. Let's revisit it and try and investigate why that is, basically. So I came up with this idea of classics reimagined and we decided to reimagine The Breakfast Club, um, which was filmed in 1985. So we're going back to sort of like, you know, the height of the, uh, well, I mean, isn't the height necessarily, or maybe sort of like the, the birth of maybe teen coming of age, modern teen coming of age, drama movies, I guess. Produced, directed by, and written by a guy called John Hughes. Now, I didn't know that much about John Hughes, but I did a bit of research. And apparently he's written and directed a lot of movies that, that have become equally he's a big as player. he's a big player yeah i mean you know he did planes trains and automobiles he did um pretty in pink um national lampoon's vacation he did ferris bueller's day off and he did home alone i didn't know any of this um and i only watched home alone recently actually for the first time so it shows you how uh, anemic my film. Oh, it just shows how indie you are, Callum. Is that you? Well, just, yeah, maybe you're not like this popular <laughs> culture element. No, it's not for you. Yeah, if if it's really popular, it makes me not want to watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just decided to revisit the Breakfast Club. Really, um, it's set in 1984 on a Saturday afternoon, and five students, all from different sort of cliques within the high school environment all turn up for a detention because they've all done something wrong and you've got all different um elements of Shermer high school in this room you've got uh socially awkward brian the volatile wrestler andrew you've got allison who's kind of this sort of um goth sort of loner i guess she would be described um the popular girl, Claire, the rich girl, um, and sort of criminal, delinquent John, basically. Um, and they're all, they've all broken the school law, so to speak. And they're all there on detention and they've been tasked to write an essay basically about who they think they are, basically, and why they're there. Um, and it's a movie that basically explores the idea that if you explore difference between your peers... Um, and you identify the spaces that exist in between one another, it leaves room for you to grow. And that is basically what the movie is about. It's a coming-of-age identity movie, really, about people, about kids coming of age and trying to think about who they are. And that is only... They're only able to do that by talking and communicating with people they... Well, who they thought they disagreed with. And actually, they all have some. They all have something in common. They're all young and they're all misunderstood. Um, and I think that's why the Breakfast Club has stood the test of time, really, um, because it is a movie about coming of age in a world that frequently misunderstands the um, the identity of of young people, really. And you know, this was being said in nineteen eighty five. Quite an interesting sort of decade, really. Sort of you know, Reaganomics and all sorts of identity politics going on. Um, I think it's quite a relevant movie, really. And the, the the Molly Ringwald article in The New Yorker is what made me want to pick it because she talks a lot about how The Breakfast Club, on the one hand, is quite an interesting film, but it's also quite a problematic one at the same time. And that's what we're going to discuss, really. So that's that's The Breakfast Club. 
Brilliant. Thank you, Callum. Thank you very much. And yeah, absolutely. I love this concept that we're running with of revisiting a classic because it's not just about then looking at a, an old film and seeing exactly what we think. We want to have a look at what we think of it from the modern current perspective and how it fits within the present climate. But before we do that, I just want to give straight away, as as would normally do, my instant reaction and feelings towards the film it is, it is. Let's get it out there and what we think about the film um, aesthetically and about the themes. And this has always been one that's been up there for me is that I've enjoyed and has been quite significant. And I think it is, as you say, it is very significant in the industry. It often gets put up there as like almost the coming of age film and it's um reference. It's very it's referenced a lot in pop culture. But one thing that I do really like about it is the style of it. And this is very much a personal taste. But I reference Breakfast Club a lot in terms of almost my dream setting for a film is something that can just take place in one setting, one location. Yeah. Very much almost like a play, like a play on film in like on film in a film because what it then focuses on is the conversation, the dialogue rather than the action and I've, I've often said that the action genre isn't my um, bag. And obviously that's the most literal version of it. But why I bring that in now is because I love action in film, but I think the real power of film is what comes through conversation and what comes through intimate moments and settings. And this is one of the ultimate popular examples of that, where it's just one location, pretty much one location, where everything takes place and the journey and story of the film is the conversation that's taking place and the interactions and the developments of the character relationships within that period of time. So that's why I think this is significant and I find it personally significant is for the stylistic reasons. I remember when I first saw it thinking, wow, you can do something like that in a film and it really resonates and feels just as powerful, if not even more powerful than a film that's got a lot of action and a lot of plot to it. Which is why um, it's always been very meaningful to me, Breakfast Club. On wider themes, the one that always stands out to me, and we will dig into other areas, of course, and discuss that, but I think the one that it's really strong on is the idea of breaking down societal expectations and being and understanding people and the connection between individuals. So this is so powerful because it's done within a coming-of-age setting. But I think what we've, we have discussed before when talking about coming-of-age films is that, yes, most of them are set um, and include teenagers, people going into their early 20s, because that's the whole idea of coming of age. But the themes that come out of them resonate to people no matter what. Because it's not just about growing up. It's about that insecure, that insecure period of life and all the new topics and themes and challenges that get thrown at you then. They don't end after that, but it's just because that's the kind of very raw new moments of it. And I think with this, the idea that explores where they purposely have five individuals who are all from different social groups who would never hang out and have certain views of them. And by the end of the film, they've kind of broken down these walls and they're connecting and they, f and they figure out that they've got more in common than they have different. You know, it's quite a powerful message that. And, um, but then that kind of sting at the end and go, oh, well, if we actually all came up to each other on Monday morning, would we hang out? The answer is no. And I remember 
one of my friends, Will, saying when I recommended this film to him, he said to me afterwards, I think everyone should watch this while they're in high school because it's quite a powerful, specific message at that stage of your life of understanding that, look, there are these barriers that are put in place. And I think the character of Claire sums it up in the film is that um, the pressure she gets from a friend and you don't understand what it's like and like it's different type of pressures. Like, I don't necessarily want to be like this, but this is the way it has to be. And like we build all these walls in society and put ourselves in different um, places and specific roles. But actually when it comes down to it and we get close and speak to each other, we all have universal um, struggles and universal thoughts and connections that are all the same really it's just how we divide ourselves and I think that's the one main enduring theme of this film that makes it so powerful and I think makes it so relevant as you say Callum now and will continue to and yes there are a lot of sub themes in it which we'll get into but I think that's the main thing that's always stuck with me and why I the way that it's delivered in that one location style is why I think it's been so powerful and remains to be so Rewatching it for this review, I was like, yeah, it still works on that specific message. So that's my kind of instant big thoughts on, on The Breakfast Club. What about you? What's your kind of overriding view of it? Yeah, I mean, the the, the one-shot element, well, not say the one-shot, the, the one-location element, just it allows you to hone in and focus on the emotion that exists within that space, yeah. which is why the script is quite powerful in that respect. Um I quite like the idea that because when I, when I first saw it, um, I'd never really seen a film like that. Um, I'd obviously seen I'd seen other movies that explore similar themes, like sort of like I mean the classic is sort of Mean Girls, isn't it? Really, um, the only one I can sort of think of um, that was was out out and about when when we were in high school. It was it was that and that, but that was that was a very that was a different type of sort of coming of age movie, different type of teen movie. Whereas this one takes it just takes its content a lot more seriously, um, and it's that idea that by exploring the difference between your peers and the spaces that exist in between, it creates an opportunity for you to grow and for your identity to change and for you to become a a better person. And then those those spaces allow things like growth and love and friendship to grow, basically. Um, Which I think is a powerful message, like I say, all round, because it's not just yeah. the coming of age bit. It's basically saying, look, when you take the time to actually connect with someone on a fundamental level, you realise there's a lot more in common than there is that pushes you apart. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what the film is about. It's about it's about that connection, really, eventually, anyway. Um, I mean, there's the David Bowie quote at the, at the start, isn't there? Um, that it's... Oh God, was it? it's like these children that you spit on or something? They try and change their as they try to change their world are immune to your um, consultation or something. Yeah, and it's like that's basically it's like it's quite a powerful quote to start with. Like obviously it's David Bowie, so obviously you know you can oh it's David Bowie, bow down, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, all this sort of stuff. Um, but then that that is shattered. It smashes like glass. Mm. The, op- the opening start yeah, of the movie. Yeah, of course. So it's like, that's quite interesting, really, that such a powerful statement can be so easily shattered when it exists in the space that it's set. High school politics. Like, as, as you know, they say, would you speak, to, would, would we talk to one another on Monday morning? No, absolutely not. It's different. It's different for me. Not only do I exist in a different social class, I come from a different economic class as well. Because that's what the movie is also about. All these 
all these kids are all from different economic backgrounds and that therefore that influences who they hang out with yeah. at school and it almost suggests that economically it's not viable for them to maintain those friendships because to keep themselves in the certain lifestyle that they have whether it be they necessarily actively want to do that that's kind of what dictates it which i think is a fascinating take on it the economic reading of breakfast club is, is that i think yeah exactly and it's like it's it's quite you know the fact that it was filmed in you know 1985 you know the height of sort of reaganomics and you know the coming towards the the end of the the end of the cold war and the triumph of capitalism um the you know the the rampant deregulation of economic sectors and that sort of stuff that's filtered into social circles and social life in schools um so there's that aspect that it explores which i quite liked but the, the reason the one of the main reasons that i i found i felt compelled to sort of revisit it um is because of what molly ringwald wrote in the new yorker um the article that i read it was um published um I read, I read it ages ago, um, but it was it was published during the the sort of height of the Me Too sort of campaign, and she was watching the movie with her daughter, and she said, "I'll I'll um I'll link the article when we put this out." Yes, good. So there we that, go. So, Get extra so, bits of content out there. Yeah, so the, the so the listeners can read it. But it's it's a fascinating article, and basically she says, you know, how are we meant to feel about art that we both love and oppose? Um, because it's such, been such influential films in people's sort of vocabulary. Um, because there's the scene, you know, Bender's aggression, John Bender's aggression towards Claire is, it's always taken out on Claire. And it, and you know, when he looks up her skirt, and there's the implication that you know he basically sexually assaults her when they're in detention. Um, and you know, how, where does that sit? You know, because you know, it's completely, it's 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 completely abhorrent. But what? Ringwald is saying is that actually what she you need to look at it in the context of the time so that when she says that it's the the end of the article she says uh I've just got it up here she says uh John the director wanted people to take teens seriously and people did the films are still taught in schools because good teachers want their students to know what they feel and say is important that if they talk adults and peers will listen I think that it's ultimately the greatest value of the films and why I hope they will endure. The conversations about them will change and they should. It's up to the following generations to figure out how to continue those conversations and make them their own to keep talking in schools, in activism and art and trust that we care. So I just thought that was quite a powerful way to end an article that, you know, she's talking about her own sort of lot in the, in the, in the entertainment industry in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was talk of, of how uh, the actual shot of her underwear is, and it's not her actual underwear. They got a double in to do that. But the implication is that she's sexually assaulted underneath a table. And when we, it, those those movies, it sparks a really interesting conversation about sort of how, what, what art was doing in the 80s and what was championed and how these films have become, um, you know, aesthetically important movies. And they are, they continue to be so because it allows you to have a conversation about, you know, what's problematic about them, but also what's good about them at the same time, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's the power of art. I think it's, 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 it's nuanced. And that's why the, that's why the film, that's, that's why the, you know, this sort of like classics revisited um, thing is, can be quite powerful in some respects. So beyond that, obviously 
that element of like the sexual aggression yeah that, that scene of of sexual assault there is obviously when we look at it now it's not something that you'd want to actively put in a film without that character being demonized for that and it being an example whereas this film rounds off with him getting, then, getting together yeah, yeah exactly so within the narrative arc of the themes that we talked about at the beginning of mm. crossing those barriers and um joining people together and that said it, it absolutely works that narrative arc but come packaged with that is the film has then allowed this uh sexually aggressive and like sexually predatory male to then conclude and get what he wanted in in that aspect which is obviously the problematic bit so the question i kind of put to you there is well kind of twofold is one what do we do with that in terms of separating it for the value of the film without yeah. writing it off? And secondly, is that if we are looking at it now to kind of like, if there was a modern um, take or redo of something like that, obviously you're doing it differently, but rather than just saying, oh, we get rid of that, is what is a... Because the problem you can find by just picking stuff that's problematic and saying oh we put a positive spin on it like you still want something that's challenging and is pushing boundaries rather than just going oh we need to kind of brush over this stuff so where where if the film was being produced now like what angle could that character go down to still ensure we keep that element to his character because obviously that was put in to give him that extra bad boy image that was part of it but obviously that narrative narrative's troublesome that he does get what he wants in the end um from that severely negative behavior so where do we where do we go to kind of rebuild that character without just taking it out and saying okay what else can we give as a more modern issue to kind of explore that because it is tricky when you are depicting a character who is we want them to come across as negative, but we get their kind of redemption at the end. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think there's there's two arcs to that, isn't there? In the sense that, like, I know exactly what you mean. Because um, there's a huge thing at the moment, isn't there, in, in art about this sort of, this cancel culture sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, you know, um, you know, com- like lots of people have mocked it, you know, famously Stuart Lee said, <laughs> like, you know, $60 million on Netflix, that's being cancelled, you know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But like, I think it's the price of progress, really. I don't think, I think the film remains aesthetically, cult- culturally and politically important because it allows us to critique it in the context of the time. You know, there are plenty of artefacts and movies that contain... Um, very problematic viewpoints, but it allows us to understand the society in which it's produced. So, yes. I, I mean, okay. yeah. I mean, take um, uh, what's a really famous movie though? Gone with the Wind, for example. Mm-hmm. Incredibly problematic movie. Um, you know, it, it, like it, that's just one example. But there's 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 several examples that contain all sorts of um, language and imagery that is just completely. Would, is completely una- unacceptable um, by our moral standards, but that that is the price of progress. The the uh, should it be can- like cancelled and changed? No, 
but it should be used as a as a way to have a conversation about why that's problematic in the first place. Yeah, and also, and also, like the you know John Bender's character is basically a product of of um, a broken social welfare system in the in the United States. I mean, you know, it, there's there's the um, scene when he's talking about how his old man who's basically a drunk gives him a pack of cigarettes for his birthday you know and he's he's supposed to be a high school kid so you know he's i'm not obviously i'm not justifying his behavior but it's like you can see how that character is the way that he is given what's been written about him and given you know various construction the various sort of economic problems that existed within the in the 80s i guess so you know, there's. I don't. I don't know if if um, Berger wrote that character with the intention of um, highlighting those particular issues. I doubt it because there was a scene in the movie where there was supposed to be a a, a naked PE teacher swimming in the school uh, swimming pool, and that was cut from the movie. Um, and that was deliberately written in, so I, I don't know how they can be reconciled if that was supposed to be in the movie. And so I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that Berger wrote wrote the character with to, for John to Hughes, have you mean. John Hughes. Sorry, yeah, yeah. What did I say? Berger, that's the, a character. Berger. Oh God. Oh yeah. But yeah, Hughes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if he, if he wrote the character in for to generate as much sympathy as I'm as I'm suggesting here. But the movie itself exists as an artifact to help us understand why it's problematic. And then we can use that to sort of have conversations about some of these issues that quite evidently still exist in our society today. I think our, our art can be, art is powerful. It opens a conversation. Yeah, so my that's what, that's what I would say about that. Yeah, no, I get that. And so I think I definitely agree with what you said is that, okay, we look at these problematic areas and we learn from it and go, okay, why... Is that a depiction of the society at the time? What's it telling us about that character? I mean, sometimes and often you can write it off as saying, you know what, that writer shouldn't have really written that. That's their personal kind of addition to it. And it's not necessarily something we take from the character. But still, that is then something you can analyse of the writer and be like, why were they of the mindset? Or why does someone who thinks that writes that is at the forefront of Hollywood? Exactly. Um, which I think is definitely valuable. But I think that you definitely have got to pull those bits apart because I, yeah, no, by no means think that um, it loses the value as a film because there's so much in there. Because for a big part of the film, there's a lot of progressive discussion yes. thought in there. You think yes, the there discussion are, yeah. of um, children discussing mental health, like that's what yeah. it really goes into. So when they talk about the uh, the kid who was going to try and kill himself and he found the gun mm. in his locker. And then they all talk about the pressure and they talk about societal pressure and everything to do with that. Like, that's obviously a big, big thing to discuss and there's loads that goes into that. And I think that's the real strength of it. But the, the problem is, like you say, with um, the character of Bender um, and his that the issues around that with the um they said the sexual violence the problem there is that he then goes on this full 
arc of redemption and he, at the end he's quite literally posing as like the the, the yeah. hero character and then he gets together with claire at the end and obviously gets what he wants in in that term so you you have to pick those apart and i think you just got to be aware of that that's the whole point of it and it does not discount it at all because there's so much good stuff to take from that film but you absolutely have to be aware of that and and acknowledge that if we were now to let's say rewrite that film that narrative arc shouldn't take the same completion and that act if that act is to take place in a film then that character should be vilified and not get the redemption through that bit there should be some kind of other course to link that acknowledgement of those actions um, well, there's, the an, there's an element, there's an element of sort of like yeah, that's it's that sort of like 1980s masculinity, isn't it? It's like he is redeemed because he can now have sex with this girl, presumably. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that's the implication. But again, it's it's about looking at the movie in the context of when it was filmed and when it was written. I mean, most I'm every, nearly every single movie from the 1980s um, has, has has almost identical um, problems. But, you know, that doesn't mean you completely discount them. It means that you try and make sense of them and understand why. Because that, that is what that is what the price of progress is. You know, you you try and dissect and unpick why it's been written in that particular way. Um, I mean, I maintain that the, the movie is still one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is it is good fun to watch. Um, well, fun's the wrong word. Um, it's an, it's interesting to watch. I have sort of a, I, I have fun watching it. I find I have fun analyzing it if that makes sense. Um, you know, and it'd be interesting to see what his character would be because you know, I remember you asked me like what would his character be like now, mm-hmm. like if he was to be remade. Um, I don't actually know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if a movie like that would be made now. I think. I well, I think it should be, but I think what it should do is. It, it should obviously eliminate that element of the the sexual violence, but steer into his redemption. Really, his redemption is his breaking down of his identity and willingness to accept the lot. Like, because he's obviously got a, a bad lot in life and that, but then a willingness not just to put shun the world, but to connect with others. The problem is the connection at the end of this mm. is a sexual one that has also yeah. involved those aggressive, violent, inappropriate acts. So what it should do is the redemption should fully be on his um, connection and self kind of development of what he's figured out through that because that is the power of the film i just even at the end i find it a bit uncomfortable just without considering that the narrative just feels a bit weird that they get together and then the other two get together it's like it's unnecessary really it's almost as if like oh to make it this teen like high school movie we have to have the characters getting together but i don't think it needs that at all it doesn't it is the element of it is the scene where they're upstairs, they've been smoking yeah. the weed, and um, then they discuss and they break down the highs and lows of that. That's the power of the film, and that's what makes it so powerful. But it's that's just the these be- little the elements scene. of it that take it away. Mm. Um, and that's where one of the most iconic lines comes from, where he says, um, 
not verbatim, but we're all pretty bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it than yeah. others. Like that's one of, if not the line from it. And I reference that a lot and it's always stuck in my head because it sums up the message of the film. It's just, as you say, you, we pick certain bits that there, which, um, as we say, we, we need to look at them to learn from that as the product of the time. But that's the point, and I think this is exactly why we're doing this and why we should do this, and it's important for people to look at films and art like this, is because, yes, take all the messages out of it that are still relevant now from a positive standpoint, but get the next layer where the art has evolved in terms of we now have a different lens that we can look at these things 40 years on and be like, okay, that in today's society is well not appropriate but why is it not appropriate and why was it appropriate then and that is something extra we then get from the art and this is why it's important to have these conversations but not just to write off it as a whole but to take those extra learnings from from it and hey it sounds like you you know we can get too academic on this but (laughs) we're, we're discussing it in detail but the point is that being aware and just taking taking from it that taking that awareness and that's what we love about it that's what we love about film isn't it is that it's multi-layered there's so much to it beyond just the entertainment value and it grows over time it develops as we do the audience and society does and i think breakfast club has been a, a perfect first example of this for a film that has got some quite clear meaningful and impactful messages in there and the way that it's put together, developed, resonates with people, but there are elements to it which we need to understand aren't appropriate and what else can we learn from that? And I think Breakfast Club All Round um, is a great film to watch for all of those reasons and, and still is very good to show to people, no matter what the age. But as I said before, before, if you can watch this as a young person, I think you can learn a lot from it. I agree. That's... I, that's that's the breakfast club there that isn't is the it breakfast club. that is, is the breakfast club is there anything you want to add to that Callum before we close um, off I mean just what I mean that's basically what Ringwald says in their article isn't it it's yeah. like I mean like I said I'll link it when we post this online so the listeners can have a read um, but I mean yeah I mean that's it it's like it's up to the following generations to figure out how to continue those conversations and make them their own to keep talking in schools in activism and in art and trust that that we care. Absolutely. And on that, and on that, I think we should we should wrap up. Let's wrap up, yeah, Callum. Yes. As we have gone Marcus. with a different angle this time, and this is our yeah. kind of new sub series, I'm not going to ask you for a rating because I think the point of this yeah. is that we're looking at something a bit different. Yes, we've shared what we think about the film and, and personally what we think, but the point here is we're looking very specifically at a part of the film. We're revisiting it. So, hey. We've we've told you that we really like watching it and there's still so much value in it. But with this little sub-series we're going to continue doing, um, it's not about the overall rating of the film. It's about what we can take from a classic film now as a modern viewer. And I think we've yeah. really got into that and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So, Callum, thank you for suggesting that. And thank you. I yeah. look forward to more of these. If any of the listeners have any suggestions of films that, classic films that we think we can revisit and take take a fresh look at then please let us know and we will continue this sub-series throughout all of our episodes but 
We have plenty more other episodes coming up. Of course, there'll be more reviews coming and we've got more conversation episodes coming up where we're going to speak to different people in the film industry, video, creative, everything related to that. And we have, well, we've had loads of great conversations so far, but we've got a lot more very exciting ones to come. So keep listening. If you wouldn't mind, please drop us a review. Apple, Apple Podcast Review is fantastic. Give us a follow, subscribe on Spotify. Anything that you listen to would be fantastic because it does help us out. And hey, we want to share this with more people and get more people involved because we love building that film community up. But thank you once again for listening. Callum, thanks for joining thank me. It's been yeah. a thoroughly enjoyable chat on this evening i hope you're feeling better over the next week and you've got rid of the virus and you're at fighting fitness but in the meantime keep watching some films and keep checking out our instagram page the glass a film club we're putting all sorts of stuff on there we'll be giving a few little reviews as well of films that we don't chat about on here because we're always out there at the cinema and watching other stuff that we want to share with you so come give us a follow engage with us we love to chat about film as you know we do but until next time thanks for listening and that was another episode of the Glass 8 Film Club podcast. See you all later.